high growth mindset people. I'm Chris Macriciano, your host, and this is a podcast that equips you with the mindset to achieve success. Are you ready to turn your growth mindset on? Let's get started. Hi, growth mindset people. On this week's episode, I'm excited to introduce you to Mick McCurran. Mick is a university professor and he's been an executive director and advisor at U.S. Department of Homeland Security on campaigns such as human trafficking, cybersecurity, and much more. His strong ethical values and the eagerness to make an impact took him to start his own company, Penovia. Penovia is a full-service public affairs and issues management firm based in Washington, D.C. It specializes in helping brands tell their story with an inherent focus on corporate social responsibility. After talking with him, I've learned that corporate social responsibility is not about the image, but about the real positive impact that companies have and the responsibility they have to create and think in social responsible terms. Hi, Mick. Uh, it's so great to have you here uh, at Growth Mindset On. Uh, what I normally do, I ask the guests to introduce themselves. So uh, uh, please uh, go ahead. Oh, great. Hi, my name is Mick McEwen. I'm originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the United States. And I recently moved to Washington, D.C., where I've worked for the past few years um, and just started my own startup called Panovia. And we're a corporate social responsibility public affairs firm. We're helping make sure that brands and companies know how they can be good corporate citizens. Okay, so it, you've started your business. How, how long ago did you start? Oh, just a few months. Just prior to that, I worked at the Department of Homeland Security in the United States. When the fiscal year ended, which ends in late September, early October, I decided that it was a good time for me to start my own company and mm -hmm. kind of you know really focus on what I'm passionate about. And how is this change from working for the government uh, to starting your own company? Something that really struck me when you when we got in touch is about that one of the 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 things you are you are trying to kind of eradicate or at least help you know because it's a very big issue is about human trafficking. Um, Absolutely. And uh, I would love to 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 know more about how is the situation. Uh, are you focusing it globally? Is it something more local? Explain a little bit just for the audience to know uh, what is the size of it and which uh, are the main focuses you are you are you are doing at the moment. Sure. So it is a global issue. Um, if it hits every single country. Um, but I I would maybe argue that it most likely hits every single town village. Uh, hamlet out there. Um, so the focus is areas that I have right now is United States based. Uh, I think that United States is, a, is, is leading the effort to fight trafficking. I think that we have probably the most resources, the most dedication, and it's also a very big, um, it, it, it's a very big issue that is within our political context right now. And the, for your audience that in the United States, we have a two party system and the current issues that we have right now It, not everyone's agreeing or seeing eye to eye, but when it comes to the fighting human trafficking, we're able to really get that to the point where um, we're, we're not having as many issues. People, people agreeing or disagreeing with that. I was able to get federal legislation passed that uh, was unanimous, so no one disagreed with it in the United States House. 
state Senate or the president. So that is 435 members of the House, 100 senators, and then the president. That's a lot of people to get on the same page. So I'm really focusing on the United States aspect. And what we're doing in Penovia is really approaching it at the state level. So there's 50 states in the United States, and each state has its own set of laws, its own set of um, factors in those communities. The issues that might be facing a state like Florida, which is really heavy in tourism, uh, has beaches and has a large influx. It's, you know, right, uh, people are coming in, whether a port of entry through, you know, the sea and the airport and stuff like that might be different than a place like Kentucky, where, you, you know, you and I were discussing in the pre-roll where you kind of lived. Um, it's going to be, that's going to be maybe more of a labor trafficking thing. It's a landlocked state and it's going to have a whole different series of, of struggles. And so we're kind of making a state by state approach. And, you know, usually when the United States leads on a thing like this, we see other countries kind of get involved. Yeah. One of the things, to be honest, uh, when I was in the, U in the United States and it really struck me, you know, I suppose this is what traveling does you to any person is that the United States is so focused in international um, conflicts mostly um, and uh, definitely because it's a big player now that's one of the biggest together with with China and it has a lot of impact uh, and I was very surprised that some things I, I, I wasn't aware at least in the school system of uh, some conflicts that were happening uh, internationally like genocide and many things happening in in Africa and I wasn't aware of it you know and um, definitely the college I was at especially I suppose because I was a part of the American school system, I could have like a broader picture of what is happening in the world. And it was fantastic to be there because I thought here in Europe, we do kind of worry more about the European stuff and what the countries around us are doing. But as um, America has such an impact in terms of our politics and also economics and army and all the resources that you are saying in order to uh, to kind of uh, help eradicate many world issues, many world problems that we, we, we have nowadays. And uh, it's fantastic to be talking with you about that issue But I, because I think uh, here in Europe we kind of... Um, don't have the that contact or that information that you 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 guys get firsthand you know in the news and and i think you're um kind of much more informed well informed internationally than that than we do here oh i appreciate that yeah because one of the things is here is that the issues that the united states have are the same issues that are going on in europe we're having a large influx of uh, people seeking refugee status we're having a large influx of people trying to um become into the country and these types of issues from the outside coming in are important to kind of say that, you know, not everyone here is, has a, an honorable goal. You know, there are people who are trying to bring children across the border illegally in the sense that, um, you know, for trafficking purposes and like, let's just define what trafficking is for your audience audience here. Yeah. It's the use of force, fraud, or coercion to uh, obtain a, uh, either commercial sex or to obtain um, illegal labor. So really the, the two main forces of trafficking that I work with are the labor trafficking, commercial sex trafficking. And, you know, in the United States, if you're under 18 and you're being part of a commercial sex trade, you're considered a victim automatically without a shadow of a doubt of, you know, of human trafficking. Um, so, I mean, this is some of the stuff that we deal with, and we just happen to see it in these vulnerable populations. Now, when we talk about the outside of the United States, those forces coming in, there's also the same exact issue coming in uh, within the United States. So there, you could have a person who was born and raised in the United States, 
never live, left their hometown and they can still be a victim of trafficking. So this is the type of stuff that we really want to try and you know, raise awareness to. And we're doing that internally here at Panovia um, by dealing with the state legislatures and getting people to understand because this is a multiple facet issue. This is an issue that you know, corporations play a part in because you know, uh, one of the clients that we work with, like they, they do the, their, their security firm and their, their employees are frontline employees. They see people on uh, hundreds, if not thousands of people every day, and they can know what to now look for and kind of identify the crime and how to fight the crime. So we were able to do that, and we also have to make sure that the people who are making your laws understand what the actual issue is. Yeah, 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 completely, completely agree with you. So basically what, what, what you're, do, you're doing at the moment, uh, you're just telling me that you help brands tell their stories, you know, with a focus on the good things. And, and uh, how is, uh, is that from a marketing point of view or you get them involved or um, you get uh, companies involved into, uh, into that same uh, area in order to also help them? It's, uh, what we're we talking, what's the specific name here in, uh, in, but like company sustainability, uh, how can companies have an impact on the uh, the issues that countries are facing? You know, because companies are not just uh, individual entities who who shouldn't shouldn't like uh, have an impact on the society. It's the other way around, and fortunately, it has happened that like it seems like companies are tra trying to make the most of of. Uh, I mean, it's always about the benefits, which is a good thing, but uh, at least not uh, having harming uh, other people so so it's fantastic to kind of switch this around and help uh, and help companies build another story in front of their of their audience or their customers so explain me a little bit more about it sure so there's there's a multiple issues here right first the first one is is that there's organizations and companies firms whatever that are doing the right thing they're getting training they're um, raising uh, education and awareness within their employee group on what to look for and they're building they're, they're building connections and partnerships with state, local, and federal law enforcement to be able to report and tell, tell these crimes. And that's not only on the human trafficking front, but that's on cybersecurity, that's on suspicious activity, that's on multiple different things because they're all part of the team player and they're trying to do the right thing. Now, with that being said, you also have to tell that story to, to three different groups of people. You got to tell that story to your employees. Your employees are going to just think mm -hmm. that you're just a big corporation you're not doing anything and there's got to be awaken that sense of passion you're like no wait a minute we are doing things and there's more to corporate social responsibility than getting rid of a plastic straw or you know going to a paper plate no there's actually like this is impact that's happening in your community these are people that are in your community and i think that when you're realizing that there is like a price that certain organizations are unwilling to pay and the idea is is that if there's a human life involved here we're going to help save it so i think that needs to be told to the employee and then the other aspect of this partnership idea is that you also want to make sure that you're, you're, the communities that you serve, whether that's the mayor of your local town, the state senator, the governor of the state, or the president of the United States, you got to let them know what it is that you're doing. Because I think that there's a, you know, one of the things that you kind of discussed in, in, prior to this is that there's this underlying feel that these, these corporations don't necessarily want to be members of the community. Well, a lot of these places, even if they have 200,000 people in them that work for them, start it somewhere. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that's, that's the type of thing that we're going to try and help as well as like not only fix the problem, but also make sure that the story is being told in a way that's respectful, mm -hmm. but also be informing those who are stakeholders and, and need to hear it. Because sometimes we don't need to just do legislation. We just need to talk to each other.
I, I, I completely I completely agree and especially if that was the term I was looking for thank you for for the definition you know corporate social responsibility because definitely it's something that uh, I think companies need to uh, need to do something about it and I'm happy to hear that you are helping them and you're just bringing that awareness that it's super important to be part of uh, of, of, of it you know uh, uh, helping and having an impact and especially like as you were saying nowadays people work for they say they don't work for a company they work for the mission that that company has and uh, it's super important the message uh, you send you you send uh, to your employees as you're saying in fact have this friend she works in in uh, human resources and she was telling me she's doing um, uh, employer branding and it's super important to how the company uh, in order to attract a new talent needs to work from within uh, and uh, kind of uh, set a very specific values and, and share that in the in the organically in order to spread that word and spread uh, spread that mindset uh, outside you know and having people just coming applying for this uh, company in a m more organic way so so definitely that's spreading um, doing good I think it's it's definitely uh, such a nice um, mission to have you know uh, as uh, Penovia does. Oh, yeah, thank you. I think one of the things is in this space that, you know, we're talking about is that there's people who really, you know, they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And that when you give them the opportunity to see that they are, you know, bigger than themselves, and it, and sometimes it can just be the little things, you know, mm -hmm. and I have the opportunity to talk to people all the way from the, the chief executive officer to that frontline person, and everyone has a different take on things. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I found really interesting with one organization I was working with was that their frontline person was just so ecstatic that a call that they made actually got a got answered B was acted upon and C then I came back and I said hey listen this is what you did here's where we are and that's really a, a big part of it so I mean all these different things kind of come together and I think that's really where people you know get the sense of like okay we're doing something more than just you know creating a better dividend for our, our shareholders. We're creating a dividend, better dividend for the companies and the communities that we keep. That's uh, such, a, such an outstanding objective to have. And um, yourself, as you've worked in the, uh, in the government and, and now uh, having your own private business, how do you see there is a difference uh, in terms of how the government works? Uh, just, just beg my uh, ignorance here in terms of... Uh, and, and, and the private business, how uh, in terms of, uh, let's say, in terms of work management, uh, in terms of how things are dealt with, uh, um, what is the difference on how the private companies work, like your, your company, and uh, sure. the government works? In sure. So, I mean, on the government aspect of it, uh, one of the biggest frustrations and one of the reasons why I was so apt to leave the government was the bureaucracy involved. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't necessarily the mission or the people, but it was the ability to um, get things done. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, one, the way that the U.S. government on the federal side works is mm -hmm. that um, Congress will appropriate so much money to you, and then you have to report back to Congress what you did with that money. And they give you very specific guidelines on what it is they want you to do with it. Um, and that really isn't frustrating. That's just, to me, it's a guidepost. You understand what Congress wants to do. And at the end of the day, that's what the American people want, right? Mm -hmm. So that part wasn't really too much of a frustration for me. But for me, the frustration came into taking that guide guidance and then actually uh, executing on it. And you, things that should take um, weeks and maybe a month took months, if not almost a year, 
And that really just, just kind of drains you to the onboarding process of bringing an employee in the government sector and getting the per- persons and the people that you want or that you're looking for. It, it's totally ridiculous. Like that can take forever. Um, and sometimes it's not, uh, you're not getting the best person for the job. You're getting the best use overall choice that these people think. And it's, there's, it's, it's a very one way street in that regard. So that part was extraordinarily frustrating compared to being my own organization where I can find the people I want and I can make things work for them um, and work with them in a way that uh, is beneficial for everybody. Um, you know, one of the, the other aspects of it as well is like uh, on the government side that I found also found very frustrating was, um, you know, you have all these great people who are working in the federal government and who get bogged down with unnecessary or just large amounts of work that don't actually get ever to see the light of day what they're supposed to be doing. And so that part was really frustrating. So when I kind of started this company, my focus was making sure that I got the people I wanted doing what they were supposed to be doing and making sure we kind of leave that to be going. Now, there's some positives to the federal government, um, to, to say the least. One of which is that there is, for uh, the right person, there's going to be a plenty of opportunities and benefits. The opportunities and benefits that the federal government awarded me, I, I can never, ever repay the government for how well they treated me on so many fronts. I was able to um, sit down and have great conversations with uh, representatives from the governments of Canada, Mexico, um, regarding how we can work as a continent together um, on these human trafficking and suspicious activity reporting, um, see what the different you know issues were. Because the issues that Canada has were very similar to the issues that the United States is facing. Um, they were just a little bit, and this isn't a shot at Canada by any stretch of the imagination. But we had a hotline, we had a task force, we had things moving forward, and you know Canada was just getting to those points. Mexico, though, I mean, like Mexico has some serious issues down there in their government, and they were so transparent and honest with them, saying these are what our issues are, and to get be able to be like, okay, let's get you in front of the right people to make sure that you're able to execute on this stuff and to see those changes happen. I think that was really kind of some of the rewarding aspects of it. Um, and the other thing with the government too is that I was able as a United States government employee, it was just really fantastic to meet uh, and being in Washington, DC, meeting leaders from across the world. I mean, I, I must've briefed uh, leaders from at least 40 different countries to come in to find out what it is that we do. And that's a great way. We all talk in marketing about the idea of something spreading virally or, you know, the, but mm. you, if you know, as doing this podcast, it's going to be through the day to day, step-by-step, built brick-by-brick, you build it. And then it, oh, you're this overnight success that people will talk about are, is a decade in the making. And I think that that's, that's exactly what we've really had the opportunity to see and do. And that's how I'm building my company. I mean, I learned that from them. Like The importance of a post going viral is not nearly as important as the relationships that you have, the, the ability you are to reach out, and the ability you are to give yourself selflessly so that you can help the cause and then good things will help you. And how um, I suppose that this interest of you uh, helping and uh, human uh, trafficking and it's it's it comes uh, out of this uh, this job you've had now uh, for the government. Is it something uh, you you've always been interested in, or it just originated while you were working for the government and being aware of what's going on? Because sometimes, for example, myself, you know, it's something that you know there are bad things happening in the world, but you don't have them. You you you're 
you you don't kind of daily see you know there is hunger there is you know uh, human uh, trafficking there is uh, poverty lack of education um, women uh, having access to education all of these things but we going through our days you don't think about it so explain where this this uh, interest and and mission originated sure so i mean I, I did not have an interest prior to working at human, uh, Homeland Security in human trafficking. I had heard of it, but not to any major extent. And then I think that for me, what really kind of, once your bell is rung on this issue, once you get the idea in your head that this exists, and not only does it exist, it doesn't exist in some far off place, it exists yeah. in your backyard. That's the part that I think really like blows people's minds. And so what I always do, and I'll tell a story, is that in the United States, you know, it's a melting pot. Right, yeah. I, I, uh, the United States, like you, you, we're Americans for, by sure, but I, I also like I consider myself um, with a name like Mick McEwen. You know, my my people came from Ireland, mm-hmm. so I'm an Irish Catholic kid who grew up in Northeast Philadelphia, and the houses in uh, Northeast Philadelphia are all connected. Right, it's all it's, it's considered they're called row homes, mm-hmm. um, and uh, our backyards were really tiny. But you came from a very very close knit neighborhood. It was. A great way to grow up and my grandmother god rest her soul was the, the matriarch of our family and she was the boss you know I, and i have a daughter and i'm bringing my daughter back now to that same type of sunday dinner that was so important in my life uh, i would stop at a stoplight and you know and there would be this health that would give me pause and the thing is sometimes when you take those moments we can either push them into the back of our mind or we can push them to the front and create action. And, you know, and cause it, it, the thing is, is that we ask ourselves why, right? And that why can either empower us or paralyze us. So mm-hmm. I'm standing at or sitting and waiting for my car to go in this light. And I look into this house and I never see it say anything, but it just gives you the sense of foreboding. And there's always a thousand different indicators we can talk about, but the best indicator is the one that hits you in the gut. The one that tells you that something isn't right. So I would drive to my, my family, be with my family, introduce my daughter to a tradition that now expands four or five generations and be a part of it. I moved down to D.C. and um, what do I find out is that that house had human trafficking in it. And there was a community in the United States that are called the Amish. And this community um, doesn't deal with uh, electricity. Uh, electricity and all that type of stuff. So they don't really – they're not – you know, they're very old school. They're living their lives back as it was the turn of the 20, uh, 19th century. It's a religious decision and there's no real questions or qualms about any of that. And I'm not here to comment on, on the choices they make as a community. However, there was a mother and father who were trying to save the family farm. In order to do that, they needed 40,000 United States dollars. And this man gave them $40,000, but not at the cost of one daughter, not the cost of two daughters, not the cost of three daughters, but the cost of four daughters that lived wow. with him. So their grandchildren all are related to the same man and they tried their best to save the family farm, but they've lost their family for generations. How do you recover from something like that? So, I mean, it's just a totally different vulnerable population than people realize and that people work with. And all this was coming to light as I was working at the human trafficking campaign. And that to me was just like how this happened on my way to my mother's house. Like, how can I, how can I rest? And with this going on in the world yeah. and you know, we, we, we have so many issues in the world and there's just, yeah. there's just plenty to talk about, but this is one of the things that I think that as a world environment, 
we thought we ended slavery, you know? And to think the thought that that slavery still exists in some form, whether it's through, you know, labor trafficking, sex trafficking, or domestic servitude, doesn't sit well with us as a people, you know, just as humans, it doesn't really go well with us. So to be able to kind of be like, hey, this is still an issue. We don't know the best details on it. We need to just, we, we call it a crime that's hidden in plain sight. Let's bring it out to the light and let's talk about it. I think that's the part that's really interesting. And I think that, you know, having that opportunity has really been a game changer for me. And, and especially it's, it was a mitigating factor for me to start my own business was because I know that I can do more um, by bringing this to the way without being handcuffed to like federal government regulations yeah. or anything else. And just being like, hey, this is what I know and this is what I'm here to do and this is what I'm here to share. I really like the fact that you mentioned, you know, or uh, in, in, in face of adversity or in face of um, anything happening uh, to us, you can rather uh, paralyze or take action. And what you've done is taking action to something that really struck you and uh, you, you just decided to just go for it and do something in order to end it or, or at least mitigate it, you know, because it's, I think, definitely the effort that needs uh, in order to, that we have to do in order to, to uh, eradicate um, uh, this this issue it's it's a paramount and definitely many 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 other uh, people have to come together and government in order to to do so but you as a person uh, individual just uh, in face of uh, adversity or seeing a problem you just you just took um, the, the the action path and it's something that we discuss here in growth mindset on because it's a uh, I think that's the type of mindset we want people to have you know and I think it kind of, of requires um, some, some, some ability, you know, I don't know. That's why one thing that yeah, maybe we can discuss about it. Is this something that uh, probably even in the family you grew up or type of community you grew up, is something you've learned that when you see a problem, you need to solve it? Or uh, it's something that uh, it's, uh, it's more of a personal, uh, a personal issue uh, that you normally do? Because it's, it's what I'm trying to figure out also by interviewing people is, what is the core uh, element, and I think everyone has a different one, that makes people be active, be proactive, uh, do something uh, in order to uh, eradicate a problem. And I think businesses normally are, are part of that, you know, if they are working properly, uh, it's because they, are, they see a problem and they try to, to solve it just as you did. So, so what do you think is that key, um, I don't know if it's a skill or if it's genetics or that made you, you know, um, or, or, or people should have in order to, to go for it and, and, and start doing something. Yeah, I, I have a ton of thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. So on a personal level, I think it comes down to uh, grit. And, um, I, I, and, and this is me being um, a stereotypical American, because I just think there's just as us as a, as a people have this just this unyielding ability of just just uh, hard work, determination, and grit. Mm-hmm. And um, growing up in a city in in the in the United States, it, it is a little rough and tumble at times. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, nothing is necessarily given from given to you. And it's very much like you know, uh, the cream's going to rise to the top, and you have to work um, very hard. Now, the thing is, is, is this is that you can be ambitious. And you can be personable and you can maybe find success that, but if you don't have that ingredient of grit 
and, and, you know, the ability to do the work yourself, all the ambition in the world, you may get far, you may not, but the ones who really kind of sit down and do the work are the ones who are going to get the dividends long-term. Um, and like one of the things is, you know, for me was that I had this unbridled desire to own my own business someday. My grandfather's in his nineties still runs his own company that he started 50 years ago. And, you know, he goes to work almost every day. He's, he does real estate, he sells homes and, you know, he absolutely has this passion that's so contagious that you want to be a part of it. My father, um, he's, you know, almost 70 years old and he's still going to work in a business that he started when I was born. So it's always been the idea that I want to do my own business. But the one thing that is interesting is that my grandfather, you know, he helps sell a community as a real estate person. My father's in construction. He helps build a community as doing that. And then it comes to me and I, and you know what, I'm not very good with a hammer. Um, so I have to kind of figure out my own thing. And I think that my, my personal thing is I'm going to try and help save the community that gave me so much. And that's really, that's really where I'm coming in and trying to help this. And I think that one of the things that you, you kind of see uh, with any of these types of organizations too is, and with me, is that people who can tell their story and find it compelling and have a way to tell their story makes it so much more intriguing for people to want to be a part of that story. So, I mean, for me personally, it was great because when, for my background, you know, I came from uh, my grandmother, I lived with my parents and my grandparents. Uh, my grandfather was a, a judge. So he was a person who sat on court, did, I could see the, the level of the work he gave into the community. And then my mother did the same thing. She worked in family law. She still does, but she works in family law. And one of the things that would happen to us is that we couldn't sit down for our Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner mm -hmm. until she made sure that everybody else, you know, in her cases were handled and were ready to go where they were supposed to be. And, you know, my grandmother was a huge influence on my life. And, you know, she was always so determined that we get the education that we needed because, she didn't necessarily have that opportunity, that access to education. You talk about women access to education. Try growing up in the 1930s and 40s. You know, she had she had five kids, four of which were girls. Every one of them got a master's degree or were a lawyer. She had 17 grandchildren. And I would say if you look at the, the ratio, probably the, the females are a little bit more successful than us guys. Um, and But she has this indomitable spirit. And I kind of felt like this woman who sacrificed so much for us to have it, not only for her kids, but for her grandkids to have it, I'm going to work my, my, my tail off every day to make sure that I live up to her dreams and wishes as well. And so, I mean, there's definitely that, all those types of aspects to it that, that really bring it together. But for me, the biggest thing that I learned and was the long game, and I, and I saw it after my grandmother passed, is the fact that if you think about this, here's this person who... Um, you know, she lost, uh, uh, the, the flu killed her mother and her siblings. So it was just her and her dad. And then she, you know, in, that was a rough growing up. She gets through the Great Depression. She meets my grandfather. She has these kids and she puts her life on hold, but makes sure that everyone else gets the education and the opportunities they need, because that's what just kind of person she was. And then, you know, you fast forward to this and you're saying to yourself, holy mackerel, this woman did all of this. So I got this opportunity right now. And when you look at it, the long game like that and say this, this dream of mine mm. might have finally came to fruition in September of 28, but it started probably in September 1932. 
And mm -hmm. so that's kind of like the, the, the craziness of it. It took us nearly 70 years to get to this point, but damn it, I'll get it across the finish line. So that's kind of the way we, we, we look at it. And I think if you take that chance and that opportunity as a person to say, hey, I'm part of something larger and the opportunities that, because I think even though we might not like our parents some days or we don't want to talk to our siblings or, you know, whatever, when you look at what you are in the community and your fabric, you'll see mm -hmm. the opportunity here. And that's really what, you know, I've tried to, to do and try and make it make it work. I hope that answers your question. I could go on yeah, forever yeah. about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it does indeed. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact that you just point out to, to your family history and, and you have it so uh, alive. And I think it's uh, many people and, and many, um, or at least myself, I just have this recent one, you know, my parents and, and uh, I, I don't go as far as, as, as my, uh, my grandmother. Definitely she's an inspiration for me. But it, it's interesting how you kind of draw into your past, into your family past, and uh, you are able to, to know the, the, the struggles that um, your, your grandparents uh, have been through. And you, you are able to kind of um, celebrate the fact that you have the opportunity because I think many people and I think that there are so many people with depression or so many people that they are um, you know not being motivated enough to go through life and uh, kind of give up too early uh, it's because that we are not um, aware of the 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 moment we're living and the opportunities we have at at hand in order to be whoever we want to be you know the power of internet and just the power of us being talking right now you know and just isn't that amazing like yeah. you're sitting here we're, we're talking but i think the thing is too is that one of the issues that we have uh and this is just a human issue is that we're so set on what the path is supposed to be you know, if I was getting on the path I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be a congressman from Pennsylvania District 2. I don't even live in the district. They moved the district to another part of the state. I don't even live in the state. And I have zero interest in actually ever running for elected office in my entire life now. But the whole point is sometimes we have to have our eyes open to where we think the opportunity is and where, and where it is that we, you know, the opportunity lies for us. Because for me, you know, the opportunity that was presented was not necessarily the one I originally wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, uh, pretty much I was, I, the, the game changer for me was when I decided that the first opportunity that was going to be able to, you know, get me where I needed to go, I was going to grab at, even if it wasn't the exact one I was hoping for. And I think sometimes we got to look to other market factors that we don't. Um, when I had the opportunity to join Homeland Security, I was hell bent on going to the State Department. I wanted to travel the world. I wanted to meet new people. I wanted to, you know, spread the message of, you know, United States and the American dream, which I'm living right now. Mm. The issue is if I, if I went to the State Department, I don't know if I would have had the opportunity to spread that message unless I went to Homeland Security. I got to Homeland Security. I helped get everything going. I gave myself as much as I possibly could. And, you know, I think that really kind of set my way for everything else. I think one of the most important things, too, is that, you know, uh, and I'm talking about, um, you know, the, my experience here in the United States, but I've, I've had the opportunity to go to Spain and I absolutely, you know, fall in love with, with the country and I, my Spanish is not very, very good, but um, one of the things for me is like there's inspiration wherever you are. And I mean, like, uh, for me, one of the most inspiring pace, places was Arcos de la Frontera. The, it's just a little town, but it was it, it was on the frontier back in the day. And I think that when you get the opportunity to kind of see of like what we're as a culture, Spain is was and is, and how you put a play a part in that, 
I think that can kind of just really change the way that you're kind of feeling it. Because I mean, you know, we celebrate culture in the United States, just yeah. in general, whatever it is, we're going to celebrate it. It, it. That part is, that's, that's just, you know, part of the fabric of the United States. And I think that when you have the opportunity, like the thing is, you know, you talked about coming to Kentucky earlier, mm-hmm. everyone in the United States wants to go abroad, bring, bring back yeah. what they learned from, from you and, and, and make it part of us. I mean, we're very, we're a very open society in that regard. Yeah, I, I think I think being open, it's super important as society, as individuals, it's super important in order for us to, to be more tolerant, in order for us to also be more critical with the stuff happening around us, because I suppose human trafficking, I don't know, uh, centuries ago was like the normal thing, and we need to be aware that, um, uh, how, I don't know, build that um, critical mindset in order to know what is good and what is bad, you know, and there are many tiny things happening in, in our daily life, even like, I don't know, many things um, regarding gender inequality, that and we should have a, a, an eye where, where we're able to, to, to see it and, and try to solve it, you know, so I think it, it goes from being open-minded uh, and work on, on, on that, reading as much as possible, traveling as much as possible, and kind of um, be challenged of our vision, you know, we, uh, because sometimes we probably are like in a shell and just opening out to the outside world and uh, people willing to travel, it, it, I think it's, it's crucial, you know, in order to kind of be able as yourself, we're able to see the problem and just go go for it and try to solve it. So I think it's it's definitely uh, super uh, important. The other thing I would add to that that's also really important is to listen. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that, like in the United States, is that you know with our current political climate that is missing mm-hmm. is people listening. And I think that. Um, just because the issues that you may be facing as a Spanish woman might be different than the issues I'm facing as an American male doesn't mean my issues are not any as just as important as the issues that you're facing. And I think that if we're able to kind of discuss that and talk about that, and, um, and I think that's one of the beauties of the work that I'm able to do is because I'm able to get us at a point for, um, you know, whether it's cybersecurity or the suspicious activity reporting or specifically human trafficking work, is to build, it's a place that we all can start at together and agree that this is not something we want to do and then kind of, you know, try and come back to our differences. And I think that's really part of the things that I've learned, especially as traveling is that, you know, I think people think that if you travel from the middle of the United States to the coast of the United States, you'll be open to seeing more types of people and seeing more types of issues that are coming down to it. And that's true. But those people who are on the far side of the world too, those people who are on those coasts need to come into the middle and see those issues that are facing it. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, like not to wax political here, but one of the things is that, you know, when you have people who are, you know, there's gender inequality and all the things that you mentioned are very important to you, but that might not necessarily be important to a mother of four kids working at, you know, $7 an hour trying to put food on the table. Yeah, she might agree with you, but she's going to be, she has a much more focused issue, which is going to make sure that those kids get what they need to get done. So I think that's kind of the different aspects of it. And I think it's one of the things that like when I, you know, went through my little family history, I think it was kind of funny is that if some of these people today, we got an opportunity to talk to my grandmother, I think they would roll their eyes that she wasn't this ultra feminist. But then at the end of the day, she made sure four girls got master's degrees, law degrees, and then made sure another 20 women were able to become vice presidents and other different things in their different organizations. So yeah, she was, she was feminism before it happened. So it's things of that nature that I think we have to kind of 
be able to look at our perspective, but also listen to what the other people are saying. No, I, I completely agree because I think we, we, we can nurture, uh, we can learn, for example, like, I don't know, like teachers from students. I mean, teachers learn from students. If you're a good teacher, you learn from your students and you listen to them and the, vice versa. It shouldn't be like, you know, hierarchical position. So definitely it's like, I think we can learn from, uh, from anything and, and it's super important what you pointed out, you know. And another thing uh, regarding your, also your just um, a new journey as a, as a founder, is uh, how do you reach out to your, um, to your customers? How, how do you uh, kind of spread the word and, and make new, uh, you generate your leads? Um, sure. So I do, I do a, a bunch of different things. So um, first and foremost, I work on the relationships that I have. Hmm. So, um, and one of the things is I, I don't come to it with a sales perspective on those, on those relationships that I have. What I do is I come from it from a service perspective. How can I serve? How, you know, what can we do? Hmm. Um, and there's, and there's things on a, a, a daily thing that you should be doing is, which is a, you got to engage with your current, uh, your current network. And when I talk about my current network, what I did was I wrote down a hundred and 125 people that I was very friendly with and I didn't care where they worked or what they did. So you could be a secretary or you could be a CEO. I put you on that list. From there, I just did, I reconnected with you on a, whether it was drinks or dinner, just email banter, whatever, kind of starting the conversations again, getting connected with people again on a more personal level, what was going on in their lives. A um, lot of people, once people find that you take this type of endeavor, this type of step, the, the initial reaction is, oh my gosh. And then the second one is, how can I help? And if you have a how you can help type of attitude, mm -hmm. then you'll definitely get that back tenfold. Um, so after I, I, I did that, um, I made sure that I connected with people. Uh, I, I try to connect with uh, at least three to five people daily. The other thing is what I started doing was I connect, I made my circle smaller by connecting people. And so one of the things that I'm looking forward to is that when I listen to another podcast is that you're going to be introducing friends of mine because that's just the way I work. Once you're one of Mickey's people, you're never going to be able to get out of that circle. The first step. And then mm -hmm. I go from there and I will eventually lead me to somebody like, Hey, this is somebody who needs, needs your efforts. I mean, um, so that's the, that's the first thing I did. The second thing I did is I got onto LinkedIn and, um, Twitter. Uh, I keep my Facebook and Instagram stuff personal. That's just a decision I made. I don't, uh, I don't think you, I think you have to pick one, maybe two platforms that you're really good at engaging with. So I do, uh, I, I do it with LinkedIn. I, I start sharing content with my network and then I start reaching out. But I, when I reach out into the stratosphere, if you will, of LinkedIn, I make sure that I give absolutely valuable information. Um, and, you know, just don't say cool or awesome or great work. I mean, I do that to the people that I know so they know that I saw it and then I, I you know, I consider that a way to keep in touch, but to people who are asking questions and things like that, I try and actually give them an answer and give them an honest, an honest opinion. Um, you know, the thing is with LinkedIn, you got to keep it managed. So I don't like to spend more than 45 minutes on LinkedIn. Otherwise you're on there all day. And you just didn't get anything out of it. Um, and then the other thing is, is that I did the same type of thing on Twitter. So when I'm doing my, my commute, I'm on the train, I can maybe be on Twitter but usually what I find is that those Twitter conversations end up moving over to LinkedIn. So I really find LinkedIn to be a valuable source and that's really where I'm building my um, thing. Uh, the other aspect of it too is that I also look out to write publications, mm -hmm. um, op-ed pieces, um, things of that nature. 
Uh, and then I also do a lot of public speaking. And uh, once again, you, you know, you got to start small. And one of the beauties of where I live in Washington, D.C., is that we have tons of conferences, tons of meetings, and tons of opportunities. That's one of the reasons why I love it here so much is because even though I, I'll talk to you about growing up in Philadelphia, Washington, D.C. has just offered me so many opportunities I couldn't be more grateful for. So that's kind of, you know, the background on that. I think the other aspect of it, too, is you have to have a solid website. You have to have a place that people can kind of um, connect to you with. And um, one of the big things is for, with me on the, on the website is that when I'm talking to people, uh, I get the opportunity to, you know, present myself. And even though it's, it's a basic website, you want to make sure uh, that you have the, the, the right information on there and people get an idea of who you are. And if they see something that's presented professionally, then they're more apt to kind of continue the conversation on what it is that you do. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. And I really like that. I think it's a very good advice also for the audience who is uh, kind of on the same position is that, you know, going through the, uh, through the lead generation from a, from a service point of view and not sales point of view. And I think it goes also in line of being, being a, a giver, not a taker, you know, because people definitely when you, when you go out there and you, you're just trying to sell, you just, trying to take out, you know, their money and a type of thing without offering the value and knowing them and listening to them as you're well mentioning before, because if you listen to them, you know what their needs are and you need, you know, how to accommodate uh, your business to their need. And that's, that's bringing value. And uh, that's how uh, people will trust you. And I think it's also very important on that. Uh, I think also the website goes on that same line, you know, we have a trustworthy uh, website. It's, it's also crucial and, and that uh, it looks professional, it looks reliable and people can trust you. So, so definitely I really like that, that uh, approach because I think some people, whenever we we're trying to to uh, sell our products it's we're just going out there and 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 many people kind of do mistakes in that in the surface uh point of view or reaching out or being approachable and and just um, just bringing value to people without uh, trying to get a result but results will come uh, eventually you know and it, it, it's got to be a long game because I, I mean so the thing is for me too was that when I was doing all of my work um, at the government, people would come up to me and be like, "When are you leaving? Because I want to hire you." Yeah. And when people are telling you that, it, you know, the, how you how do you stay? You know, you're like, "No, I want to, I want, I want to get this opportunity, work on these other cool things." Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the um, super cool things that this whole opportunity has provided for me is that for those of your listeners who are like, I want to do something, I want to take that next step, start today and start in the moment now by engaging people and even like you're working on the company dime. That's why you should be doing your company branding and your personal branding. And you have the opportunity now to just build something and kind of say like, Hey, this is the small steps. And cause it, you know what, the, the things like this, um, you know, the, 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 they, they make the largest difference in the world. Probably one of my greatest contacts slash lead generators is somebody who's in the horse racing industry. He and I go back years. We have a great relationship. He's never bought anything I've sold, and I'm probably never going to buy anything that he sells. But we, we, our, our networks definitely, you know, cross paths, and it's not, it's, it's, but it's just because it's this personal relationship and the ability to kind of like, you know, this is somebody I know and I trust. And if you have the trust and they know you then I think that's the most important thing because right now I think too many people focus on making a small scale sale. 
oh, I can get this person for fifty dollars. I can get this person for three hundred dollars. When you, if you play a longer game, you can get that person for ten thousand dollars a month for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So I mean, that's the type of way and that's the type of game you should be playing. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And definitely that's the type of game that keeps you for the long run, you know, and um, not for the, you know, just getting the money and, and that's it. You need a customer who you con constantly need to bring value to if you want that person, you know, to have like a low churn rate, you know, what they define as a low churn rate. If you want that person yep. to, 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 to buy your service again or your product again. So that's, that's super important. Uh, make, uh, normally we, I keep it under an, uh, an hour. We keep the podcast under an hour. So, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think it's, a, it's been such a nice conversation and as I was mentioning at the beginning, thank you for reaching out and for uh, to the Atom and energy uh, you just spread out through the podcast and, and also to me right now. Um, oh, thank you. And it's been so great to also talk about your history and uh, also also give a hint or of how... Um, First, in the first place, uh, you know, United States work and and how how the business model you're you're trying to create is it's, it's helping to make an impact in our side. And I think that's an uh, an example that we should all follow when we start a company and and as a founder, definitely starting first thinking how we can bring value to 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 our our customers as so, but also how we can bring value to the society. So I think you are a great example of that. Oh, thank you so much. And I just want to say thank you for giving us the platform to have these kind of conversations because this is the way that we make the world just a little bit smaller and a little bit better than we found it. So thank you so much.